ready to get started today with God's Word? Excellent. If you'll turn, please, to the very first book of the Bible, we're going to look into uh, Genesis chapter number 26, and I'm going to talk today about strong parenting. Sometimes when we have little babies, and even in times like this when we're presenting these babies to the Lord and dedicating them to the Lord, we kind of ask this question, what will the future hold for this baby? And we kind of take it as that the, the, the future is out there and this baby will have to make adjustments to the future and we just wonder what that's going to look like. And certainly there's relevance and some truth in that type of perspective. But perhaps we should begin to ask not how will the future, what will the future hold for this baby, but how will this baby change the future? Maybe that should be our statement. I wonder how this baby is going to change her city, his city. I wonder how this baby is going to change the school system that they'll go to, how they will change the community, how they could change the state, the country, the world. And I think that should be our approach as parents and as believers. This message today is really to Christian parents and how to raise children. Babies are beautiful. All of them are beautiful because in them we see the future. The future inspires us because we see potential. And potential challenges us because we dream of possibilities. And possibilities are revolutionary because they are dangerous. Have you thought about these little babies and how dangerous they are? I'm not talking about just survival. It's, it's, it's hard just to keep them surviving if uh, you know, they're in those first couple of years. I remember Tyler was our firstborn. We wanted to have four children, and then Tyler was born. We had a quick reassessment of our strategy for the future, and we shrunk back to three. We said, maybe we can handle three. We're not sure if we can handle four of these little guys. They're expensive, too. It was just tough keeping Tyler alive. But Tyler is dangerous. So is Amanda, and so is Caitlin. And your kids are dangerous, dangerous in a multitude of different ways. Let me give you some, something I came across. These are some one-liners of maybe advice or perspective from parenting, okay? So just some one-liners here. Save your voice calling for your kids. Just sit on the couch looking comfortable and they'll materialize out of nowhere. <laughs> Having one child makes you a parent. Having two kids makes you a referee. Becoming a mom means for the next 16 years of your life, you will have a sticky purse. He said, I asked, my, I asked my mom if I was adopted. She said, not yet, but we placed an ad. <laughs> and lastly, hell hath no fury like a toddler whose sandwich has been cut into squares when they wanted triangles. Babies are placed in a family for reasons. Parents are God's agents to love, lead, train, correct, and forgive their children. You are the first image of God that your children will ever know or see or hear. Children are dangerous in a multitude of ways. Let's read in Genesis chapter number 26. We're going to read about a guy named Isaac. We reference Abraham, the father of faith, and this is his son, Isaac. And let's see what the Word of God says in Genesis 26, verse 6. He says, So Isaac 
stayed in Gerar. And when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She's my wife. He thought, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, uh, she's really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men may well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. We're going to get back to Isaac and that whole scenario in just a moment. Parenting is very difficult because we find that babies are a bundle of contradictions. They are both speechless and eloquent. They can't say a word, but they just need to make a sound and everybody goes crazy. You know, it's like the father who looked down and said, you know, the little daughter said, whatever. He goes, I think she said daddy. And the wife was like, she's two weeks old. She didn't say anything. They are both helpless and mighty. They can't do a thing for themselves. And yet, all they have to do is make a sound. Everyone drops everything they're doing and rushes to that baby's attention. They are mighty. For thousands of years, man has looked at the world and he has seen heights that appeared to be unscalable, depths unfathomable, he saw forests unpassable, deserts that were uncrossable. It seems like the whole universe is crying out, you can't. You can't conquer me. You can't conquer me. You can't conquer me. And yet every time man comes back and says, I will. Now it may take a year. It might take 10 years. It might take 100 years. It might take 2,000 years. But man conquers because man was placed on the planet to be a conqueror. God said to Adam and Eve, you are to take dominion over this planet. It is underneath your care and your authority. And so man has that indomitable spirit, if you will, that rises up and says, I will. I will have dominion. I will take dominion. I will be in charge. Nothing will inevitably conquer me, but I will conquer everything. Man has conquered Mount Everest and the largest deserts. He's conquered the depths of the ocean, and walked on the moon. Man has this incredible ability to say, I will. And yet parenting becomes very, very difficult because we recognize the fact that these children, even though they're babies and even though they're young and they're toddlers and so forth, we recognize the fact that they have the potential of them to go in a multitude of different directions. And as parents, and as aunts and uncles and grandparents and as churches, we are to guide and lead them and direct them as the Lord leads us by his word. So I want to just share with you a couple of things that I think will bring encouragement to you. I'm not the authority on parenting. I don't know of anybody that is. 
Uh, but somehow Lisa and I muddled through that thing and our children haven't killed anybody or <laughs> So I'm going to give you some encouragement today. Number one is that we should parent with perspective. We parent with a perspective that understands these children are wonderfully dangerous. But that danger, that, that dominable spirit, that, that conquering spirit, lets them also have the possibility of going badly when they should be going in a different direction. They have the opportunity, they have the possibility of going in the wrong direction. Now this is kind of opposite of what some people think. And that is that, oh, everybody's good, we're just good in our own way, and you know, it's only you know, just a couple of people that are really bad and we're all just really good and everything's going to be great and that's why we just need to let everybody and anybody into the country that wants to come. That's why we shouldn't have any, any regulations and rules because everybody's really good. But see, the book of Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful. The heart of man is deceitful. The heart of man tricks a man into thinking, well, this is a good thing that I'm doing, and when reality it is not because it's against God's word. And the heart is tricking us into wanting to go in a particular direction, having feeling good about that direction, and yet the Bible says there's a way that seems good to a man, but its end is destruction. The end is not good. So the heart is deceitful of all things. It is beyond cure. It is beyond a human cure for the ailments of the heart. And so we find in this, also in Genesis chapter 4, in verse number 7, what God said to Cain. He said to Cain, if you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. And it has a desire. Its desire is to have you and rule over you. Here Cain has presented an offering to God, which is something that God said, I'm not interested in that. And his brother Abel presents an offering that God said, yes, that's, that's the offering that I want. And now all of a sudden there's this animosity. And of course, Cain kills his brother Abel. We see that illustration, that poetic, illustrative way where God says sin is crouching at the door. It's like a lion, isn't it? It's, it's like that, that pouncing Lion who's just waiting to just bolt and to grab its prey. He said, that's what sin is like. Sin is crouching. It's ready. It's ready to pounce on you. And we recognize, every parent in here recognizes that our children have the possibility of going in the wrong direction. But aren't we thankful as Christian parents that we have a God who is powerful, more powerful than sin, more powerful than the devil, more powerful than anything at all. And with his grace and mercy, our children will not go the wrong way. They will go in a path that he is leading them on. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have tasted that the fruit of sin. Every one of us has. If we look at Isaac, here he is lying about his wife, saying, she's my sister. He had a reason for that, but perhaps it goes even deeper than that. We see that his father Abraham did the exact same thing. He had Sarah and 
he goes to another land and he says, ah, they might kill me and then take her. And so he says, she's my sister. And then we find years later, Isaac does the exact same thing. We see in our own children, our own lives. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We see our children doing the, some of the same things we did, and we go, oh, yes, yes. And we, sometimes we see our children doing something, and we turn to our wife and say, that came through your genetics. <laughs> Nothing to do with it. And sometimes we see in our children ourselves, and it's not pretty. And this is a situation with Abraham and Isaac. And yet, even going beyond that, we find that Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And Jacob is this surplanter. He's the heel grabber. He is the deceptive one. And he tricks Isaac, deceives him, lies to him in order to get double the inheritance. And then he, once he has that inheritance, he, he leaves his brother Esau because he doesn't want Esau to grab a hold of him. So there's trickery, there's lying, there's deception being followed through from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then Jacob finds that even Rebekah, his mother, helps him in this deception. Then Jacob has sons, many sons. And what do they do? They lie and trick and deceive. And they say, oh, Joseph? Oh, your favorite son, Joseph? Yeah, yeah, some wild animals got him. Yeah, he's, he's no more. When in fact, they had sold him as a slave. We see the lying and deception and the trickery just flowing down through that generation. The Bible says that God will visit the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but he shows kindness and mercy to those who put their trust in him to a thousand generations. Aren't you glad? We see in our own children that, that tendency to be both good and bad. So we parent with perspective because we understand and realize that the reality is they can follow the path of sin or they can follow righteousness and our prayer, hope, and belief is that they're going to follow God. Jacob not only had this, these sons that lied to him, he also had a son that was faithful. He also had a son that did what was right. His name was Joseph. Joseph said, I'm not going to follow that path. I'm not going to follow that deception. And even when given the opportunity to be deceptive and to be with another man's wife, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. The Lord's watching. I'm not going to do that. The Lord, that would bring dishonor to me. He said, I'm not going to do that. And he decided to go another path. And it was all of the brothers who eventually came to him and literally bowed down before Joseph, a fulfillment of his dream, but also not even knowing who he was until he revealed himself and said, I am, I am your brother. We parent with perspective. Can I just say for a moment, parents, knowing the path that your children can take that is negative, that is wrong, that is sinful. That should be a godly fearfulness that comes on us. Not an ungodly fearfulness, but a godly fearfulness that drives us to our knees, that drives us into prayer, that drives us into the Word of God that says, I need to instill within my children the Word of God so it will guide them and lead them and they won't go the wrong way. That's vitally important. 
There should be those times when you stay up late at night or get up early in the morning or take a half a day off and you just been saying, God, what do you want for my children? How can I lead my children in the right direction? Don't wait until the police call you. Don't wait until the warden calls you. Don't wait until the, they're on drugs. Do it now. And help them avoid that lifestyle. We parent with perspective. And that's the negative. You want to get to the positive. We also parent with promise. Aren't you glad we've got some promises in God's word? They give us the assurance and understanding that with God's help, his mercy and his grace, there's good in store for our children. What has God said about your children? I would say that in two different ways. What has God said in his word about your children? But what has God said to you about your children? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he was old, he will not depart from it. Psalm 126.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. That's something to remind yourself when they turn about 13. <laughs> Isaiah 54.13, All your children will be taught of the Lord, and great will be the peace of your children. Man, God's teaching my children. God is teaching my children? Yes, he's using your mouth. He's using you. He's teaching your children, and great will be their peace. And we begin to parent with that perspective. We begin to parent with those promises. Lord, my children are a blessing from you. They're a reward. Thank you, God. And great will be their peace. And we're going to see honor and integrity and truth just like Joseph had in his life. I'm believing that that's what you're doing in our children, God. We believe that as parents. This is what you're doing in our children. Just as we see the, the continuation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's sons of dishonor, we see that broken with Joseph. Now here's something that counterbalances all of that, and that's Ezekiel 18. And here Ezekiel the prophet receives a word from the Lord. He says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. He says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me, the parent as well as the child. Both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. And what he's doing is saying this, there is the perspective of, yes, sin is a reality, but we're not going to use Proverbs telling that our, that our children are going to be affected adversely because of our sin. We're saying there's a breaking of that through the grace and mercy of God. And so our children do not have to continue on with our sin. We parent with promise that there's a new day, a new blessing, a new anointing on our children. And they don't have to follow the way that we did if we did what was wrong. They don't have to do that. And so he's saying, you will not use that proverb again. You're not going to use it in Israel. That because the parents did something, it affects the children. No, there's a breaking. There's, there's a severing. Say, in the name of God Almighty, my children are blessed. My children are free, even from my own mistakes, even from my, my parents' mistakes and my grandparents' mistakes. 
We are free in the name of Jesus. Aren't you glad that the word says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation? The old things have passed away. All things become new. That's a promise that we have from God. So we pair it with those promises, recognizing he said there in Ezekiel, as surely as I live. I mean, that's God saying, as, listen, you don't have to worry about it. As long as I'm alive. God is saying, as long as I'm alive, you don't have to worry about it. As long as I'm alive, there's a breaking of that sin. The word says God visits the, the sins of the parents of the ungodly for three and four generations showing a stop to it, showing there's a breaking of it, that he does not want sin to continue for on and on and on and on and on. There's a limit to that process. But he says, I show grace and mercy to those who put their faith in me to a thousand generations. Whenever God uses the term a thousand generations, it's another way of saying there's no limit. It's just a way of saying there's no limit. So he's saying to ungodliness, three or four generations. To righteousness, no limit. Aren't you, don't you just see the grace of God in all of that? So we parent not only with perspective, but we parent with promise. We also parent with proclamation. We parent by proclaiming God's word. That's what I'd ask. What has God said to you in his word about your children? And what has God spoken to your heart about your children? In just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to stand up and make some proclamations over our family. And I know maybe your children are with you right now, or maybe they're back in kids' church, but we're going to have an opportunity in just a moment to make some proclamations, to participate in what we're talking about today, because the stakes are very high. I believe the enemy, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, has a bullseye on the family, because he knows if he can destroy the family, more Negative consequences happen because of the destruction of a family rather than the destruction of a nation. More negative ramifications come from the destruction of a family. So he places his bullseye right on that family. And he says, I'm going to do whatever I can to tear that family apart. I'm going to do whatever I can to drive this wedge in between husbands and wives. Listen, parents, moms and dads, husbands and wives, if you... Husband and wife, if you aren't getting along, your children know it. Your children know it. Get it together. Figure out what's going on. Figure out what you need to do. Get it together. Pull your marriage together, and you'll never regret doing that. Your children are picking up on that. But you know what? If your, if your marriage is together and you guys are solid, your kids are picking up on that. They're getting that. And they're getting an image of what family life is supposed to be about. They're getting an image to say, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. And they're also saying, that's what I want. And they start at about five. We, Lisa has nieces and nephews, and this was several years ago. They were, they were about six or seven years old. And they had come up to the house, and they were playing. And, and our daughters, Amanda and Caitlin, were just on the floor playing with them, playing Barbie dolls or whatever. And so our daughters were in their 20s. These kids were young. And all of a sudden, one of those little girls turns to Amanda and says, Amanda, will you come to my wedding? You're six. She's already planning her wedding. Little girls think about that. Something guys don't understand. Like, 
guys, just tell me when to show up. <laughs> girls have, by the time a girl's 12, you know, she's got it planned out. You know. Your kids are watching you. What, what are you proclaiming over your children? Are you proclaiming, well, when you turn 16, you won't have anything to do with me? Well, that might be a self-fulfilling prophecy. But instead, say, you know what? When you're 16, we're going to go on a great vacation. We're going to have a great time. What are you proclaiming over your children? Are you proclaiming negative or are you proclaiming positive? Well, it's probably a mixture, isn't it? Because we all have bad days. Or am I the only person in here? That... God is saying to us, we've got to make proclamations of his promises over our kids. And it is a promise by faith because that's what a promise entails, faith. And we begin to believe, God, I believe my child is going to hear your voice. God, I believe my child is going to hide your word in their heart. God, I believe my child is going to live with honor and integrity. They're going to be in love with their family. They're going to be in love with you. They're going to love their spouse. And you begin to make these proclamations early in their life and all through their life. And you begin to proclaim God's word over them. You begin to proclaim what God has spoken to you about them. And all of a sudden, you begin to realize that time after time after time after time, you're just filling them with God's word. You're opening up their spirit to the spirit of God. And there's no limit to what the Spirit of God can do in their life because every baby is dangerous. Every baby is dangerous to say, yeah, they could go wrong, but in the name of Jesus, they're going to go right. They're going to go in the right direction because you as parents are saying, God, we need your help. God, we're going to speak over our children your word, and we're going to see you do great things in our children's lives. You might be here today and you say, yeah, well, right now, right now, my child is not doing what is right. They're off in a rebellious state. Don't stop confessing God's word over them. Don't stop believing. Keep believing. Keep confessing. Keep the faith. Gather some people around you that will encourage you and uplift you and not be doubtful and not be downers, but to uplift you and say, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to come back. It's going to be okay. God's still got this. God's in this. Gather some people around you like that, like a church, like right now.